morning and welcome to Let's Talk Autism. <clears throat> I'm Nancy Alstock-Jackson. What do you got here, Shannon? And I'm Shannon Penrod and I'm eating pretend food because uh, that's one of the things that we're going to be talking about today. So I'm eating a pretend tomato. I'm pretending to eat the tomato. Okay. One of my favorite things. It's it's just slightly less rewarding than eating actual food. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to be talking about that today. And can I say why I want to eat a pretend tomato? Because Nancy, I'll be honest with you, I, I'm struggling this morning. It's I, I'm not thrilled with most of the news that we have. Some of it's I good know. news, but most we, of it isn't. We've got some and, disturbing, disturbing news this morning. Yeah, um, indeed. Um, but stuff that we need to cover and stuff that's important. So, and, I, and can I be honest that I didn't include all of the disturbing news in this morning's rundown because there was some that I was like, you know, I can't take it. I don't, I don't think that our audience can take it today. Um, so, yes, um, and, and, and all of it is reminiscent for me of other things. So we'll, we'll, we'll pause on that, put a pin in that, and first say that we're happy to be here with you guys because... Yes, you know, part of when when tough stuff happens in the community, I think it's important for all of us to link arms and hold on to each other and, um, you know, share what everybody's going through in a way that's productive and helpful and have that fellowship, that that tribe that Eustacia Cutler talks about that was so pivotal for her when she was raising Temple Grandin. So I'm happy that we have our tribe this morning and I'm happy and honored that you're a part of that tribe, Nancy. Um, Thank you. I'm honored to be here. But um, I'm going to start with, uh, well, I see, Traven, that you've got the good news up. So let's start with the good news. Well, first, let me say this, that we're live right now on YouTube, on Twitter, on Facebook, and a handful of, more than a handful, double handful of other sites. We hope that if you're tuning in, that you will share this with other people, because we're going to start a really important conversation here in just a second. If you like to watch us in podcast, hey, that's A-OK with us too. If you don't have time to be with us on a Friday morning, we certainly get that because your, your life might not support that. But our podcasts are available for free as a free download wherever you get your podcasts. We are the number one rated autism podcast. We are now part of the Autism Network, which has got some new and exciting things coming up um, in this new year that we're about to crest. So we hope that you will write in. The chat is open. I see that somebody has already written in. Oh, a bunch of people. Good morning to Michelle and Asia and Becca. It's afternoon where Becca is. And uh, to Kirsten. Kirsten, I haven't seen you in a month of Sundays. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, oh, and, and we're going to be talking about sensory toys in just a second. And I love that Becca says, I have jewelry, fidget, uh, a fidget cube, a poppet, and a tangle. Do you remember the Tangle, Nancy? Because we featured yes. that in the Toy Guide a couple of years ago. We love yes. the Tangle. We've also um, featured jewelry. We have a uh, we have a poppet toy, but it isn't part of our sensory toys this year because uh, we it qualified for something else. But that's a really good list of sensory uh, items, Becca, that are all really useful. Um, can you can you guess one of the things we're going to talk about today? Because these are you can't even believe how these feel. So we are going to be talking about sensory stuff in just a minute. We hope that you guys will be a part of that conversation and all the conversation. But first, we do have some news. But Traven has spoken and said we need to start with the good news, that we need to talk about Patty McGinnis 
and his wife. And uh, for those of you who don't know, I didn't know who Patty McGinnis was, but uh, Patty and Christine McGinnis are certainly on my radar now. I, uh, I put my husband on it to check if we have access to BBC One, and I, I haven't gotten an answer back from him yet, but I, I don't think that our cable package covers that, Nancy, but I, I want it to, because I'm hearing amazing things about this young couple. Uh, Patty... Patty is a, a TV personality uh, across the pond, and he is also a comedian. Um, and, and we have the picture there of his beautiful wife. Uh, they have, she is also a presenter. or not? A presenter. I did not know that. She's a real housewives of something in England. I did not know that, Nancy. Yes, Thank you for her. sharing that. Yeah. Um, they have three children. They have eight-year-old twins, Leo and Penelope, love the names, and a five-year-old, Felicity. Uh, totally love these names. All three of these children have been diagnosed with autism. Mm. And they have a documentary that they came out with on Wednesday on BBC One. And it's titled Patty and Christine McGinnis, Our Family and Autism. I can't wait to see this because every news source in England is talking about it. And um, many people have come forward and said that it's rocked their world, that it's changed the way they look at autism. One of the things that in uh, one of the articles that I read said that at a certain point, they, they go to experts to talk to them and say, explain, you know, what's going on with our kiddos. And of course they drop in on Simon Baron Cohen, who we've talked about here before on the show, not Sasha Baron Cohen, his cousin, his his cousin happens to, happens to be an expert in the field of autism and and in perspective taking, uh, and has a new book out, but, uh, they, they drop in uh, on Simon Baron Cohen and get this, Nancy, he does what I think all autism parents wish um, he tests both of them to see what traits of autism they have. And Christine turns out to be on the spectrum. And, and, and so people are talking about this. I can't wait to see this. Um, so, I, you know, and uh, I, I'm sorry, what did you say, Nancy? Do you think you have BBC One? No, or, or I, you don't. Don't. I do So not. I we're going to have to reach out to them and tell them that we, we need a copy to view or they need to PBS needs to pick it up here, but a pretty fascinating high profile couple coming forward and talking about autism in their lives and everything I have read has praised them up and down. I haven't heard a single negative thing, which as you know, very hard to do in this community, right? right? Right. So I want to see it. I can't wait to see it. So that's our good news. Uh, for today, uh, but probably the news that you were expecting us to lead with is that the CDC came out with some pretty interesting information yesterday. And um, for those of us who um, have kiddos on the spectrum, I-, I think it's different for people who are on the spectrum themselves. I'd love for those of you who are on the spectrum, please write in and tell us how this made you feel. Um But I certainly talked, I talked with you yesterday, Nancy, I talked with a bunch of other um, autism parents, and um, this felt like a wound that we carry reopening, um, is what I was hearing. Uh, So what the CDC said is that the 
they're saying that currently their the prevalence numbers across the country for the United States is one in 44. So that's the big headline. But then there was quite a bit of information included in this that the more you read, I think the more I just wanted to put my head down and cry. Um, and one of the things that I said to you last night, the reason why is because I, when there was a, you and you coined the phrase, uh, the being what, what the kitchen floor warriors, what is the, what is the thing kitchen that you say? The kitchen floor club. Kitchen floor club that, that we are parents who have at some point been brought to our knees on our kitchen floor. Right. Wanting to help, wanting to help our children. Let's be very crying, clear here. Be- lying there on the kitchen floor, crying in despair. Because, not because our children were diagnosed with autism. Let's be clear about that. But because we wanted to help our children, right. and we felt helpless um, in in being able to help them. I always think that that's distinct. That distinction is important because I I know that for people, my friends who are on the spectrum themselves, they say that it hurts their feelings. Of course, w- when we talk about autism as being this uh, albatross around our necks, that it feels like they are the albatross around our necks. And I just want to be clear. And I say this all the time on the show, the anxiety comes from not having a child with autism because we love our kids. We love our kids where the anxiety and the stress and the PTSD comes from is not being able to help the child that as a parent, that is the single worst thing that can happen in your life to have something happen to your child and to not know what to do to help them and, and not have access to what you hear can help them you know, any part of that is overwhelming. So that, I just want to be I clear. I don't know a single parent who had an easy road with that journey. Um, yeah. Most of us have had extreme challenges in accessing the care and treatment that our kids need to flourish and be the best they can be. But that is the stress inducer. If yes. there were services, if there were counselors, if there were people to, uh, you know, evaluate our children and go, okay, here's what your child needs exactly, because it's not one size fits all. And here's the funding to be able to do it. And here's the facility and here's the responsible person who will deliver it. And then your child begins to make progress. If that existed, this would not be a problem. Parents would be like, okay, I know what to do. It's the getting through that and trying to figure it out. It's a, it's a magic trick, right? So, so we have a parent writing in right now, Kristen. Yes. You said that's my current status. So yes. And my, yeah, yeah, my heart goes out to you because, you know, uh, Nancy and I have both been there and there are some days now when we are there. Right, because right. it doesn't right now get solved. I'm, I'm in the transition of my child to adulthood, and it's extremely complicated and overwhelming. Yeah, yeah, um, but it, but it all goes back to we want to show up for our kids in a meaningful way. Isn't that what every parent wants? Why would it be different because our kids have autism? It isn't, um, but it's hard. And I know you and I made decisions in our lives. We had other careers. And we made decisions in our lives to put all of our eggs in our kids' basket to help them and to help other people. And and we believed with all of our hearts we would do that so that we could help individuals so that they wouldn't have to go through what we went through. And now, all these years later, 
to see that more people are going through this in a, in a more substantial way made me cry, made me cry. I expected Um, to see more progress, right? Didn't you? I mean, yes, I think that's what our expectations were that the numbers would not be this high. And it's disheartening that the numbers are this high, despite all the efforts and the inroads that have been made, um, over the last couple of years since the last study was done. The last study was done when? In, well, well, the last time we got numbers was um, March, in, 2020. In, in 2020. Right. Which, so we're getting the, what they have done. And there is some good news. Are gonna, there is. Um, what was, the good news is that they've streamlined their process. They found a better way to, to be able to take data that they think is just as accurate um, I don't, I, I can't comment on, on all of that, but they've streamlined the process. So they're going to be able to get us numbers more often. So we did get numbers in 2020 and now we're getting numbers in 2021. Normally we only get numbers every two to four years. So this is progress that we're taking better data. They do feel that this number is more indicative of what it should have been last year because they're looking at in different places in different pockets. Um, it's still looking pretty far back in the past. So it's not an up-to-date number. And that's where, where when, when you start digging into the numbers, there is some concern for me. But here's the overall thing, one in 44. Right. So when we talk about autism prevalence in the United States now, we are all going to be saying one in 44. But always in the last 20 years when they have done this they would look at different states and take the numbers from different states and one of the states that they always took the numbers from was new jersey and new jersey always had the highest prevalence and over the years we would hear the number in new jersey and it would take our breath away we would go like i remember when they said it was one in 45 in new jersey and everybody went oh my gosh like, because it was more like one in 88 in the rest of the country. And it was like, hey, something's not right here. And there are always these excuses the that they give. The well, it might be. was that people went to New Jersey because there was more treatment there. Yes. But there was more treatment in the beginning because there were more kids. Right. So which came first, the chicken or the egg? And then other groups of people would say there's more environmental insults in New mm-hmm. Jersey. Right. There were all these excuses for why. And they were saying, well, they're getting better at diagnosing it. Okay, well, here we are. And it's 2021. And the numbers came out. And for the first time, the state of California was one of the states where they were looking at prevalence. Get ready. Everybody hold on to your seat cushions because the prevalence in California is one in 26. One in 26, which takes my breath away. It means basically ready for something? every single kindergarten class has a child with autism. That's right. And not only that, um, you know, there are different thoughts, but I, I saw different things online last night, but because the, 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 it's 4.3% higher in boys than it is in girls, the, the, at the best, it is one in 16 boys in California. Uh, there were some people that were postulating, isn't it closer to one in eight? But I, I let's go with the one in 16, one in 16 boys in California is on the autism spectrum. So, you know, I got to take a breath there. 
Um, and again, people have started with, well, there are so many more services in California. I, I don't, I don't know how to say to people, but do you see that those kids still have autism? <laughs> like, like, you know, you can, you can say, well, people are going where it is, but why is it so high in Montana? You know, I, I, I just, um, yeah. Um, Yadira, Yadira, I'm so glad that you're here with us. For the last two years, that's what I've heard about CS in New Jersey. One in 25. Madness. Scary. Yes. Uh, Ambrosia says, newly diagnosed with moderate autism. Uh, my six-year-old who has ADHD and anxiety also. Toughest challenge I've had to deal with and accept also. Yes. And, and Ambrosia, I'm glad that you're here because we talk about these things in really realistic terms. Nancy and I don't mamby-pamby it. This is hard stuff to accept that your child needs more and to accept that you don't know what to do and to accept that, you know, sometimes somebody will give you bad information. Like this is, this is a, an interesting path to walk. And when I say interesting, you know, I'm being kind um, because we want to be of service to our children. That is the thing. We want to be of service. And now there are more parents than ever who are trying to be of service to their children. So there's a lot to unpack here. And um, it does take my breath away. I do want to say that neither Nancy or I are researchers, but we are going to have um, Lisa Ackerman on. We're having a special show on Tuesday. We're, in, we're preempting Temple Grand on Tuesday to have Lisa Ackerman on, and she will have a great deal more information for us. She is the founder of TACA, the Autism Community in Action. So she'll be here to unpack some of this. And if you guys have questions for her to go back to her experts and, and talk about with, uh, about what's me. We'll take those questions now or later. I do want to say that the good news, I promised that we would talk about good news. Um, if we can consider this good news, um, they also, it, cause always it's been a thing where they'll look at eight year olds. And I think the reason why they look at eight year olds is that the, the assumption is that if you have profound symptoms that you, they would like to believe that you would have been identified by the time that you're eight years old. So they're always, always looking at eight year olds and seeing how many eight year olds are on the spectrum. Um, but a lot of us have screamed, yelled and stomped our feet, be looking younger as well. And they started to, they began to look at four-year-olds because what we'd really like is for kids to be identified when they're two and three. That's what would be really useful. So they be, and we believe with all of our hearts and the statistics seem to bear this out, that there is disparity in who gets diagnosed. That if you are a black or brown child, you are less likely to get a diagnosed than a white child. The, that was always the, the belief. And the other belief was that if you were from an affluent neighborhood, you were more likely to be diagnosed than a, a low income uh, neighborhood. Well, they began to study that and look at four-year-olds. And the good news is that four-year-olds are 50% in the United States, 50% more likely to get a diagnosis in the first 48 months of life than the eight-year-olds that this study is based on. That's good news. What that means, though, is that that number, one in 44 in four years, is going to be even, it, there's, it's going to be even lower 
it's going to be closer to that one in 26, which takes my breath away. But if more of those kids, if you, you have to get a diagnosis to get the early intervention. So I feel like this is good news. The other sporadic though, there, there's bad news that the racial uh, disparities still exist. Yes. Although not in every single area, they did notice that in some areas um, that it was better than others and that in some areas, the socioeconomic thing was not what they expected it to be, but it wasn't the same across states. All, all that leads me to believe, Nancy, is that in some places they're doing a better job than others, which, which makes me think we can do a better job across all areas. So it wears me out. Uh, I want to read some of the comments that are here. Um, uh, oh, I see California, New Jersey, dear. I see that now. Um, yes. And, and other parents are writing in and saying what is challenging for them. Uh, yes. Thank you. We live in New Mexico. So I'm still looking for my tribe here. There is a tribe in New Mexico um, that we can turn you on to. Uh, Angela says, what makes it more challenging for parents is that the child has difficulty communicating due to brain processing difficulties and limited language development that contributes to behavior issues. Absolutely, Angela. That, that is also part of the difficulty is that we wish more than anything we could, we could communicate with our children to know what they're feeling, what they're thinking, what's bothering them, why, why they need to do the things that they are doing. If they had communication, that would be great. But I think what you'll find, uh, and I hope that you will find this, is that when you get good intervention, one of the first things that they do is work on at least, at least functional communication with your child, and those things start to get better. But the hoop of fire that you have to go through as a parent to get to those good therapies where that happens, Nancy will tell you. I, yeah, I had to. I see a comment from Asia here. I had to fight for an appropriate diagnosis for my child, low income POC mom. <clears throat> she was not properly diagnosed until she was seven. I feel so sad that I didn't get early intervention. And I can relate to that, Asia, because my son was not diagnosed properly until he was four and a half, um, was diagnosed with PDD NOS at age three when he was fully on the autism spectrum. So we also didn't get services till later. And that is a heartbreaking situation. Yeah. And, and one of the things that we talk about is that, you know, here's Nancy. Nancy, Nancy was a television. It's okay. Nancy was a television executive with access to things. Right. And she, and she still couldn't find the pathway. And, and, and we talk all the time about if it was that hard for Nancy, what is it like for a mom who does not have citizenship papers, who does not have health care, who does not speak um, the language that the nurse on the phone speaks? Um, you know, what is it like for her? Um, and how overwhelming would that be? So there's a lot of work left to be done. That's the takeaway from yesterday. So Kirsten says, I just started to connect with the other moms who are also in my son's special ed class and beginning to talk to them and relate to them and not be judged has made processing certain behaviors easier for me as a parent. Isn't that remarkable? You're finding your tribe. And that's, that's, I, I think that that's at least half the battle because you'll find information It'll help to normalize what you're going through and what you're feeling. Um, and 
help to rejuvenate you so that you can go get back to what you have to do, which is show up for your kiddo. Thank you for the blue hearts, Amanda. We always love your blue hearts. So we're going to continue to unpack this um, story over the next couple of days, but it certainly took my breath away. Uh, and, yeah, and, and, it's, it's pretty sobering. Yeah. Um, the other not good news story that I feel compelled to cover is that it from Utah. And a lovely, lovely, beautiful young girl, 10 years old on the autism spectrum has taken her own life. And I can't, I can't even uh, imagine what her mother is going through. But this, to make this story that much harder, um, this poor child was being terribly bullied at school. Yes. Uh, racially, and I believe that there was um, disability harassment yes. involved, um, that mom says she reached out uh, to the school and to the teacher, and that help was not forthcoming. There is a, I don't know if you've got it there, Traven, but there is a, pr- a picture of this beautiful baby girl. Izzy is her name. Her name is Izzy. Isabella Izzy was her name, Kishinor. And she had a mole um, on her forehead and she had beautiful full eyebrows that one day a modeling agent was going to go, Ooh, don't I love those? But the kids made fun of her. Uh, Mom is saying that the N word was used um, and that there were other things. And that recently she had come to mom and asked for her to shave her eyebrows and to have the mole removed from her forehead. And, um, I think it's so devastating. It's like, I don't know about the rest of you, but I want to look away. I want, I don't, I'm, it's just when a 10 year old takes their own life, I go, Oh, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to go there. I don't want to do that. But I think we all need to go there for a minute because chances are that everyone who's watching, who has a kid on the autism spectrum is, is being bullied statistically that would pretty much bear out, right? Mm -hmm. There's that picture, that beautiful baby. And her beautiful mom, who my heart bleeds for her. Nancy, I, I know that both, you know, I don't want to speak for you, but Wyatt was bullied, yes? Yes, he's been bullied. And my son was certainly bullied. Yeah. And um, and I think that people think that our kids don't notice or aren't aware, and that's BS. Our kids know when they're being bullied. They get it. They get it when they're not being included, and they get it when people make fun of them, and when they're not a part of the story. We can't allow it to happen. And and this is not mom's fault. Mom was doing everything that she felt that she could to talk to the school. But I always think back to, you know, Dr. Jonathan Tarbox used to say to us about elopement. What would you do if your kid could look you in the face and say, the first time you turn around, I'm going to walk out of the house and you may never see me again. Excuse me. If your child could say that to you, what action would you take? And I think it's the same thing here. That if our children had the ability to say to us, you know, bullying makes me want to hurt myself and and not be here anymore. What would we do? And then let's do that. Let's do that. Let's take it really seriously when our kids are being bullied. And if that means that you have to take them out of school, take them out of school. 
it's hard. We have parents, uh, we have some parents writing in. Asia said, yeah. uh, this is why my daughter has not been in school since the third week of class due to assault and bullying and teachers and admin not doing anything about it. I'm not risking that. Uh, Christine said, this is why my son is not in public school. And Nadira said, agree. My daughter was bullied. School did nothing. Um, so, yeah. you know, we have parents yes. are all relating to this experience. And I love what Christina says about, um, you know, that there is an element here about you need to let your child know that you're fighting for them. That, they're, that their parents are working hard for them. Please allow your child to see you saying to someone, this is not acceptable, um, that this is not okay. And and I, I know that there are um, reasons why it's hard to take your child out of school, um, but we've had Bonnie Yates on before talking about reasons why you can take your child out of school. And yes, you do have to give them 10 days written notice, 10 days business days written notice that you're taking your child out of school. But the fact of the matter is, is that you can give them notice saying, I am removing my child from school in 10 days because I am I'm afraid for their safety. I've reported bullying. You're not doing anything about it. Um, and I'm happy to meet with you. And then your child can be sick for the next 10 days. Just don't tell them that I said that. <laughs> don't and and be sly about it. Right. So, you know, you're because children get catch a cold and you could. So put in the notice, say your child's not in 10 days, you're pulling them out of school officially. But then, you know, tell them that your child has a, you know, a sore throat or whatever. And out of an abundance of caution, you're going to keep them home. They're not going to challenge you on that. Um, so uh, yes, off the record, I didn't say that. No one has a recording of that. I didn't say that. I'm not a lawyer. You can't take my advice. Uh, uh, but it is important that we acknowledge our children when they tell us that they're being bullied. It's also important. Some of your kids don't have the ability to tell you that you're, they're being bullied. But if we see a change in behavior at home, you should be looking to see, is it that? If, you, if you're hearing about a change of behavior at school, you should be looking to see, is that that? Um, you know, we have to be detectives here and stay on this. Uh, and Scott has said, I was bullied in, uh, in school and never told anyone. And I'm sorry to hear that. Um, it is important for all of us to tell when we're being bullied. Um, but, uh, since we're talking about advocacy, Christine, uh, Christina, let's, let's talk about the kinds of things that you can do. The law is with you on this. It is not okay for your child to be racially bullied. It is not okay for your child to have what is called disability harassment. And those are the words that you need to use. Now you can do that without a lawyer or you can get an advocate to go with you. And let's make sure that we mention COPA, C-O-P-A-A dot org, is it, Traven? Can you put it up on the screen for everybody? Uh, and there's also copa.net. I think you get there either way. Um, but there, that is a team of people that you'll have to vet them yourselves because we can't speak to everyone um, in, in that organization. But it's a group, it's called the Council of Parent Attorneys and Advocates. So they are parents who've been through it and advocates that have been through it. And it's, uh, it, it, it's all over the country. Um, so, um, and Yadira, I, I love that you brought up the question of PTSD 
that when our kids are bullied, it is reasonable to think that they will have PTSD as a result of that. And we need to make sure that when we're talking to the school, we, we put them on the hook for treatment for that. If the child is being bullied, we don't just take them out. We have to deal with their feelings as a result for, from it. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm just reading you guys your comments. Um, Sujan says, my son is nonverbal, four years old. He starts crying without any control what to do. Um, I think, Sujan, you know, we have to assume if someone is crying and crying that heavily that there's something. And we're going to talk about sensory issues in a second. But if you don't know what the something is, you have to become a major detective. I would start by ruling out that it's something medical because maybe he's in pain. I would keep, we talk all the time about an ABC chart. Look at what's happening right before he starts crying. Check his clothes, check his body. See if he has a rash. See if he points to anywhere. I hope you're working with a, a ABA team who are helping to give him functional behavior, uh, functional excuse me, communication. Sometimes what they'll do is they'll show a picture and, and they'll, you know, they'll demonstrate on themselves and they'll go, ow. And then they point to it and go, ow, ow, and start to cry to say, I'm pointing to where it hurts. And they'll show a picture uh, of your child and have him point, where does it hurt? Um, because we don't want them to be in pain. If we can rule out that it's not pain, if we can rule out that there's nothing medical, start keeping a chart of, of what happens that triggers the crying so that we can start to understand. But something's going on, bless his heart. Now, sometimes when people are nonverbal, they cry to get what they, their needs met because that's what they did as a baby. I, I cry and you give me, uh, you know, you change my diaper. I cry and you give me milk. I cry and you put a sweater on me, right? So, you know, it might just be that that is his only means of communication, but please be with an ABA team. Please get functional communication for your child going, but please take it seriously. Right, Nancy? Right. It's very important. Uh, don't ignore it. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, Bushra wants to know, what is PTSD? Mm. Um, and uh, well, I, and of course, like my brain just went... Traumatic stress there we go. There we go. So when you have a traumatic event happen, um, it stays with you. It stays, it literally stays in your body. We now know it stays in your DNA. That, right. that there are people that have uh, generations of people having PTSD. So it didn't even happen in their lifetime, it happened in their ancestors' lifetime, but they have a predisposed thing to be afraid of heights or they have a predisposed, you know, to be afraid of being in a small space, right? Um, so it doesn't just go away. And when anybody has had anything traumatic happen, um, you need to go through a process of sorting it out and allowing yourself to see that it's not going to happen every time that that happens. Um, there are a lot of people who believe that parents have PTSD because what we've been through getting services for our kids. Uh, Kirsten says in the beginning of the school year, I was on campus on the playgrounds in the morning, making sure that my son had appropriate interactions with the other children. If he, uh, if he had a meltdown abruptly, or if he started to protest, I could see the kids' faces change and their attitude about playing with them. Um, 
I did have to use it as an opportunity to show them that he does have a hard time with his words and sometimes he's a bit loud, but he's not doing it to be mean. He's still your friend. I feel like if I there uh, and that wasn't said, uh, then the other kids would have had a bad taste in their mouth uh, towards towards her child. And this is one of the reasons why I'm a huge advocate for recreational aids, Kirsten. Um, and most of our kids, and we don't use this enough, you, your, your child is eligible to get um, uh, an assessment for the need for a recreational aid. And that's exactly what a recreational aid does. They go out on the playground, they teach kids how to play with each other and be inclusive. Feel free to ask for that in your next IEP meeting. Uh, schools across the country will hate me, but it's an important thing for our kiddos. And I agree with you. Other, If you can't get a recreational aid, ask them to put a one-on-one -on -one aid on the playground as an intermediary. And when they tell you it's not a part of the IEP process, they don't know what they're talking about. IEP process says that, you know, we're preparing this child for the real world, which includes having friends. And it's part of the school day push. Push, 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 push. Um, okay. Um, we, we, we're we going to take a pause on the questions for just a second. Yeah, we need to move uh, on to our sensory toys. We've got to talk about sensory toys because I promised that. And then we'll try to come back to the questions when we come back. The toy guide, the 2021 Autism Live toy and gift guide is live right now. It is on autismnetwork.com. It is also on autism-live.com. Either site, if you go, there is something that either looks or says toy guide at the top. You click on it and you'll be able to choose between six categories. We did age norm things, but I want you that it I want you to know that we did that only because there are some kids who have, some people who have very young kids, and there's things that are age appropriate and aren't age appropriate. But even if you have an adult child, please make sure that you look at the things in all of the categories because there are some things that would be appropriate for any of our kids. Absolutely. Uh, so, Yadira, yay, the toy guy. And in <laughs> fact, Yadira, your daughter has one of won one of the awards uh, in the toy guide. She won best book in the school age category, her book Balloons. So there you go. And we're going to be talking about that in a couple of days. So I'm glad that you're here. Um, but today, right now, we're going to be talking about just the category because we have 16 different categories in which we gave awards, 16 categories. Um, so in all of the age groups, we're going to talk about what won the sensory award and why sensory might be important. So we all have sensory issues, right? We all have sensory Absolutely. needs. What, what sensory, what's the sensory thing that you love the most, Nancy? What sensory activity or thing like what? Like, do you love super silky I love things? Popping. I love popping things. Oh, okay. Well, I've got a toy for you. I might have to move over to. I have a stack of toys. I, I just might get have to obsessed with that. It feels so good. So you like bubble wrap? Yes, very you much. Pop well, and you know now they have those poppet things that it's very akin to right. bubble wrap. Why and that one? Does does he like it? Yes, he does. Okay, cool. 
Um, some people like something silky to touch, but it's sensory is not just about touch. It's about all the senses, right? Some people like the taste of things. Some people like the sound of things. So it's about, it's really about all of your senses. Uh, so we tried to keep that in mind as we chose sensory toys. So well, let's start with our baby toddler category. Yeah. Um, Let's take a look, and Trayvon will will show you a picture. Wow, of there he is, Spike, Spike the Hedgehog. <laughs> Isn't he the cutest? He's adorable. Now, there, I have to tell you, there is a bigger Spike the Hedgehog that is for older kids that's all about fine motor where you grab little knobs on um, lots of little knobs that look like spikes on his back. But this is the little Spike the Hedgehog that's meant to be on the go. And can you see all the different things that he does there? He rolls, he's got knobs that you can turn. He's got all kinds of, you can push down on the other thing. Um, so there's a lot of things that are to touch and feel that will um, keep babies and toddlers occupied. It's a great thing to put in the car seat um, so that they, they can suck on the nose if they want and get that sensory input. I, I think he's cute, Nancy. What do you I think? I think he's adorable. <laughs> and so many different ways to engage him and, uh, you know, satisfy that sensory urge. And he comes to us, of course, uh, I, I don't have it up there, but he, correct me if I'm wrong, Traven. Oh, I don't even want to say, cause I don't want to be wrong. Um, I, is he a, a fat brain toy? I don't remember, and I don't have it listed there. That's terrible uh, that I don't have it listed there. Um, I'll have to bring up the toy guide. For heaven's sake, somebody help me here. Um, but I don't have Parker here today. Uh, but let's move on to our next one, and we'll find out for sure. But here's the thing about the toy guide. If you go to the toy guide, he's there, and there's a link underneath him. It says click here. If you click there, it'll take you directly to where you can purchase Spike the Hedgehog. Um, which is wonderful. But our, our next toy, which I have here in front of me, and I have the box here behind me. I love, this is from Salus Brands, and uh, it's their division that's called Popover. And they won two of our awards this year, and this is just one of them. So it's the Popover Play Food uh, that won for the preschool category. Nancy, I love some functional pretend uh, toys and normally a functional pretend toy wouldn't be in the sensory category, but this one is because I don't know if you can see these are fabric. You know how there's all right. usually you get the the play toys it's and the they're plastic. they're hard cold plastic. This but is plastic, but it's fabric. This is really good quality soft corduroy. And it's also loaded. Oh, it was Spike was from Lean Learning Resources, Learning you guys. Thank you, Traven. So, um, but this right now is from Salus Brands, their popover division, and it's really soft corduroy, but more than that, they're filled not with that polyfoam stuff, they're filled with sand. So they yeah. have weight to them and yeah. they're soft and, right. and they just feel good in the hands. So they're fun to play with. But what are what's some of the awesome, different foods there, Shannon? What are some of the Okay, so foods? I can make a sandwich. I've got my bologna or my, my mystery meat. I've got an egg I can put on my sandwich. I can put some cheese on my sandwich and a tomato. And then I've got another piece of bread. Now, I could put bacon on this sandwich, right? Wow. Mm -hmm. right? But I have a chicken leg and a hot dog with a bun and an orange for my dessert. 
Um, so, I, you know, I love this. I love to play with pretend uh, food with kiddos because it doesn't m matter what the functionality uh, language-wise of the child is. Everybody understands a certain amount of food, right? Whether right. they participated in it or not, they, uh, they, they understand eating. They've seen eating. They understand eating. So if I pick up the hot dog, this, this uh, fabric hot dog, and I start going and I pretend to eat, now I've got the kid's uh, attention, right? right? So, right. Um, and then they'll come over and they're like, wait a second, you're not really eating. And now we get into pretending. And then I'll put the hot dog in the bun and I go, oh, would you like mustard on that? So we're doing all this imagination building and I'm working on flexibility of brain. But for these, they feel good. They're sensory fabulousness. I absolutely, I put these out um, for people before in a room full of toys and there's electronic toys and other things and everybody, everybody ends up playing with these because they are so fabulous, very cost effective. Salas brands pop over, love them, and wait pop till you over, pop play food. Yes, wait till you see their pretend kitchen that is super fabulous. Um, um, okay. Uh, now we go into school age kids. You pick the yes. The so the you pick the sensory toy kit. Yes, and this, it's a fidget toy pack from Special Supplies. And what I love about this, Nancy, is that it's like a parent's toolkit. And you can pop this in the car and take it in the car with you. And you find yourself someplace where you didn't expect to be long, like you have to go to the bank and you're like, oh no, and I have my child with me. How are we going to get through this? And it's going to take a minute and I got to wait for an appointment at the bank or the doctor's office or wherever. Or you run into the old friend who says, let's go have coffee. And you're like, you know, but what is my child doing that time? You take this little kit with you, you pop it open and you hand them a fidget toy. And there are so many different fidget toys in this pack that, you know, when they get tired of one, then you hand them the other. Here's the other great thing about this fidget pack is that you'll see at the end, after they've played with all the toys, you'll see which fidget makes them happy. And then that's the one that you can look at buying more of those, right? right. I, I had a fidget pack like this on my desk years ago and Everybody would come into the office and they would go, what have you got? And they would fish through and they would find the one that made them happy. These are, you know, office workers, adults who are considered neurotypical. It made everyone happy. It's uh, a brilliant, brilliant thing. It's got a great uh, travel case too. Isn't that travel case yeah. wonderful? I love it. I, it. For me, that would be an emergency kit. My mom made me when Jem was little, um, she didn't know she was making a sensory thing, but she made him a, a bag that was entirely made out of zippers. Mm -hmm. so you could zip all the zippers and it became a bag and you could open just one and put stuff in. And we put things like, you know, a little Play-Doh egg and there were wind up toys and things like that. And that became our emergency bag, but he would just sit and play with the zippers. Right. This, this I love because there's so many things already there. You don't have to go shopping for all this stuff. It's right. all the one fell all right there. And everybody will love it. Everybody will love it. Okay. So moving on uh, to our uh, tweens and teen category. I really love this, this idea. I was like, 
as we were, as our whole team was talking about when tweens and teens, they have different needs. What do they need? What sensory need do they want? They probably already have um, some sort of fidget that they like. And now they're needing that full body sort of um, sensory input. Has, has Wyatt ever had one of these or used one of these inflatable loungers, Nancy? No, he's not, but I think, yeah, I think he'd love it. Um, yeah. I think he'd really like it. I want one for myself. <laughs> yes. And more and more centers have these because they're so fabulous it's, it's not quite the full body squish that Dr. Grandin made for herself, but it's close. This one in particular comes from Mockins, and I loved this one because it comes with its own carry bag. And here's the fun thing, you guys. They don't have to be pumped to be filled. Right. They, they use a scientific technique where you just, you know, like do this in the air and they fill up. And you can sit on it, you can lay in it, and it squishes you. There are all different ways that you can do it. But when you're done, you can pack this sucker up and put it away. Which is great, because you can take it anywhere. You can take it to the park, to the beach, to places. Yes. Yeah. 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 Thank you, Nancy. In fact, a lot of people use these at the beach, but how about, if, how about taking this to grandma's when you go to visit grandma's right. so that they need time to themselves, they they will, first of all, do the physical activity. It's just a waving it in the air so that it catches the air. And, and then they can sit and lay in it and put their headphones on and be happy as clams. Right. Uh, so mock-ins, there's lots of these out on the market, but we liked this one because of the carrying case. Um, and we like the price point on it because these can get expensive, but this one is not. Moving on to our adult category, uh, this one cracks me up. Uh, this is coming to us from Shiling, and it's called the Globby. Have you seen one of these, Nancy? I have not seen it. They're hilarious. Uh, do you remember from a long time ago the toy that was called Stretch Armstrong? No, I don't. Oh my gosh. So for, for those of you who don't know, Stretch Armstrong was this doll back in the mid eighties and he looked like a muscle man, right? But it was this uh -huh. sort of rubbery um, doll and you would just pull his arms or his legs and you could stretch him to make him ginormous. Uh -huh. And then, and then he would retract back, but you could also whack him against the, the tape. Like you couldn't harm him. Um, he, he was just, he, you know, I love this is better named Globby. Yeah, like and the, Gumby. Somebody like, like yes, a, a lot like Gumby, but I'll tell you, they're a little bit better sensory than Gumby. And Gumby had that wire in the middle, but Stretch Armstrong had some sort of gel in the middle. And I don't know what Globby has, but it's that sort of like that pulling. And can we talk from an OT perspective that that kind of pulling is good for so many different things, but we know that it releases stress and that it can uh, take out your aggression on Globby. Uh, and S-Shark says, I always thought that that was a Hulk Hogan. Stretch Armstrong looked a little like Hulk Hogan, but, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, but this is why I say, now the, the Globby might be good for a teenager, but we put it I, in yeah, the adult I was going to say, it could be good yeah. for all ages, I would think. Yes. Yeah, I think there's an age, uh, I don't know what the age rating on it is. It might be eight years old because okay. we don't, we don't want somebody who's going to chew it. Right. right? But, um, but he's super fun, a very inexpensive stocking stuffer. 
Uh, I love the globby. And then our last one, uh, our last winner, this is for the caregiver category. For anybody who is uh, working with individuals on the spectrum or has a child on the spectrum, we, uh, for sensory input, we chose the Xylion Shiatsu Pillow. that uh, for an opportunity, because I think what everybody would like is a regular massage, right? And the sensory input from a massage is good for us. This would actually be good for tweens and teens on the spectrum. Um, We have to be careful because if they have long hair, you want to make sure that they understand the rules that we don't get the hair caught in it. But um, this would be good for adults on the spectrum. But I I wouldn't mind having one of these. How about you, Nancy? I wouldn't mind having one. It looks fabulous. There you go. So those are our winners from the sensory uh, across all of the categories. But keep in mind that there are so many different winners and we're, we're trying. Yesterday we covered the educational ones and all throughout the next week and a half, two weeks, I guess it's two and a half weeks before our last show of the year, we're going to be um, featuring um, different things uh, from this category. So I, I want to go back through, because you guys have written in a lot. Uh, Bushra says, some kids with autism, if you ask the question, they repeat instead of answering. How could you make them answer the question instead? Now, Nancy, um, you both of us have had kids that have had a fair amount of vocal stereotypy. Yeah, it's um, just echolalia when somebody repeats did Wyatt ever have this particular version of uh, vocal stereotypy? Did yes, he? he did. Yes. And does he still do that, Nancy? No, he doesn't do it anymore. What do you think changed? I think with ABA, I'm not even sure how they worked on getting him to stop that, but uh, probably not responding when he did the inappropriate uh, vocal stereotype. Yeah. Sometimes one of the things that they will do is that usually therapy is one-on-one, but this is, this is one of the lessons where they'll frequently call in the parent. Can you come here and help us for a second? And um, because it helps to have a second person for this one. So that if you Sometimes what happens is our kids want to communicate and don't know how. So you, you ask the question and you say, do you want to have a banana? And they'll, and they, the, the desire to have the back and forth is there. And the child says, do you want to have a banana? And that's their way of saying, I'm communicating with you because I just mimicked what you said. And my brain didn't know how to respond. So you say, do you want to have a banana? They say, uh, do you want to have a banana? And the third person says, prompts them and says, yes, I would like to have a banana and feeds like Cyrano, right? They feed the line to them. Yes, I would like to have a banana. They might lightly just tap them and say, you know, yes, I would like to have a banana. And then if the child's able to go, yes, I would like to have a banana, then, then they're like, oh, that's what I wanted. To. Sometimes they'll go, they'll go, no. And then the person will change the prompt and say, no, I don't want a banana. Thank you. But giving them the prompt, it's hard when it's one person because right. then they'll, because it doesn't work as well. You need to have the third person right. who is just functioning as the prompter right? to say, you know, and we, and we don't make them feel bad about the attempt to communicate. Because remember, 
That's what we want. We want right. the attempt to, now we just want to shape it. So if we, it, after, so in the beginning, we would let them say whatever the phrase is, say nothing about that. But then the prompter would say, would, would take their attention, tap them politely, take their attention and say, yes, I would like to have a banana and prompt them. And then everybody rewards them for having appropriately answered. Eventually what would happen is the person who is prompting as they start to repeat the question would interrupt them, not by saying no, but would just interrupt them by maybe tapping them and saying, yes, I would like to have a banana so that we shorten that, that automatic response. Because I will tell you what happens, the longer they do it, the more it becomes a rote thing. And we see kids that are 12, 13, 14, that it's a compulsion now. I have to repeat the question before responding to it. So we try to shorten that response and and fill in what you would say. And if you think about it, it's not that much different than what we do in our lives. If you think about going on a job interview, when you rehearse in your head beforehand, you imagine, okay, what if they ask me this? What will I answer? And you rehearse what your response will be. I rehearse some of the, not all the time anymore, but I rehearse some of the things that I'm going to say here on the show. Mm -hmm. Um, It doesn't all roll trippingly off my tongue. Um, We all rehearse to a certain measure. So it feels a little awkward in the beginning, but Wyatt doesn't do it anymore. Jem doesn't do it anymore. And it's not awkward anymore. When we learned how to drive, it all feels awkward because there's a lot to take into consideration. But eventually they will realize, oh, here is how I answer that question. Right. Um, so, um, but but I really think it's impossible to do it without three people unless you're just really that good and I'm not. Well, can you just do the, the with two people, uh, you could just have the, the, the person responding respond with the correct response and ignore the... Yeah, but but the problem is, is that if I then, if I just ignore, I'm ignoring the fact that the person was trying to communicate. Okay. I asked you a question and you gave me an answer, but but it didn't work. But I don't want to make it seem like your attempt at communication wasn't valid. Right. And I don't want to ignore, because, you know, I've asked you a question and I don't want to just ignore and go, well, it doesn't matter that I asked you a question because that doesn't send the right message either. And if I try to prompt you, um, it becomes hard because what I'm asking you to do is to not repeat what I said, but now repeat what I said. How hard of a concept is that? Yeah. So that's why it's much cleaner if you have a third person. Okay. And and a lot of times a therapist will be just grab mom or dad. It doesn't have to right. be somebody who has a whole, they'll, they'll say, you know, ask them, a, they'll ask you to ask the question, ask them a question. Do you want a banana? And then the therapist prompts them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why that configuration is good because I love what Dr. Grampy always says. She says, let's make it fair. Right. And, and if, and if I have a, if my actual disability is that I have a hard time communicating, then if we were to take that to something else and say, this is a person who's on crutches, we wouldn't ignore them because they couldn't get up the stairs and, and we wouldn't invalidate them and not let them participate because they couldn't get up the stairs. So it's so important when it's communication that we make sure that we eva- we validate the attempt and, and, and still give them an opportunity to get their need met. So, um, 
Makes sense. And Amanda says, if you're by yourself and you can predict it, then you can try errorless. Tell me what you mean by that, Amanda. Um, oh, like, so, so do you mean you would say, you could say, do, um, do you want a banana? And you could say, you could put the banana in front of them and have them say yes. We're at 11. Uh, Trayvon's telling me to stop. I think that's right. what you mean. Right. So you, yeah. So, um, so you could, you're right. Say, do you want a banana? Put it in front of them and say, yes, you want a banana and prompt them in that way before they say something that would work. You could do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but Bushra, thank you so much, um, for writing in that question. Thank you all for being here. I, yes, I needed this you. tribe I today. Love, I love the toys you selected, Shannon. Thank Wonderful you. Sensory toys. Wait till you see what else we have. Cause we have, a, and, and check out the toy guide. It's pretty yeah. fun. You guys. All right. Uh, we are back on Monday with more toys. I think I, I let me look really quick and tell you which toys we're covering on Monday. Cause I think it's a fun thing. Um, I can't see on my calendar on the sixth. Oh, we're, we're covering the card and board games and the puzzle games on Monday, which will be super fun. Um, and then on Tuesday, we're having Lisa Ackerman on. On Wednesday, we've got Dr. Grampy Shea, and we're also going to be covering some toys with her, the, the toys that were recommended by therapists with her, but she's also going to take questions. On Thursday, we're covering the arts and crafts toys and the motor toys. Right. And on Friday, you and I are going to be here with Vince, and we're going to cover the toys that were recommended by parents. Great. Fantastic. That's how next week is uh, shaping up. And thank you, Amanda, that that's what you meant. That's brilliant. I so appreciate you. Uh, I'll see you on Monday. Until then, have a really good time. Uh, give yourselves a hug. For me. Give, yourselves, give yourselves a hug for me. I said it wrong. I normally oh, say give your kiddos a hug. I said it totally wrong, Nancy. All right. Love to have you. Great uh, love to everybody. Bye-bye for now.